Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. Hiya Steve, how are you doing mate? Hello Russell, very well thank you. It's great to be back on the podcast with you. It's been such a long time since we've spoken Steve, hasn't it, on, on the podcast. What have you been up to? What's your excuse? I've had a little bit of a life journey myself to be honest my friend. Um, we've had a baby and uh, she's now four months old so it's been Balancing the work life uh, with our little four-month-old growing up too quickly and then enjoying a brilliant Christmas and New Year with her. Fantastic, mate. I'm so pleased for you. It's been one of those things I've always been excited about imagining you as a dad and it's great to see you uh, now with your little one. So tell me, how how is it trying to balance being a dad and carrying on with the teaching profession? It's It's, it's a real game changer, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to rub it into any uh, parents listening to the podcast, but she's actually a fantastic sleeper. And that was my main, main worry. Um, we can get 12 hours a night solid sleep. Woo! So I, I know I can't complain about that at all, although teething has just kicked in. But I, I guess it's a, it's a nice balance to have, but um, just got to be wise to it. I know my teaching team around me in year six, they're fantastic at telling me to just go home and spend a couple of evenings a little bit earlier to see the, the bubba and um, then balance my workload afterwards. So when she goes to bed, doing a little bit of marking here and then, a bit of planning. It's a, I've got a good balance at the moment, and long may it continue. Oh, well done. It's not easy. And I think, you know, I, I had my first one quite young, and I think it did shift my working patterns a bit. I didn't do so much in the evenings and whatnot, and I had to be a bit more efficient during the school day. And I think sometimes, you know, you've had a lot of years teaching without having a baby and you can get into some bad working habits that when baby comes along sort of becomes quite difficult to uh, maintain but it sounds like you're, you're you're doing all right mate yeah and I've lost a few pounds from not eating as much at lunch and actually cracking on with the marking so no complaints there <laughs> nice one all right buddy well um it, it's great to have you back and last time um we did a podcast it was without you we had Claire Seeley on and lots of a people... fantastic standing I think I must say well, yes. I mean, I don't want to rub it in that, you know, the, the podcast where you weren't there sort of had, I don't know, treble the amount of listens to the ones where you, <laughs> you were on. Get listening, um, people, please. I, I mean, I'd love to wind you up and say that was about you not being there, but I do think it had something to do with Claire Seeley being there. Um, lots of you have got in touch to say um, sort of how helpful that podcast was. Um, Claire is fantastic in her knowledge of kind of all things curriculum and knowledge rich curriculum so um if you missed that one i really recommend going and having a listen particularly well whatever your role is in school to be honest but if you're involved in some way in developing a curriculum go and give that a listen um that was our previous podcast before i go into kind of what we're doing today i just wanted to remind people a couple of things first of all that recently we've released some free resources we like to do that every once in a while so i made a few reading resources that have been shared on our twitter and facebook pages so go and give those a look um and steve can you remind people about our social media stuff of course i can always happy to help with that um anyone listening right now who isn't part of our facebook group we are growing we're over 7300 members now so long may that continue and you can join us at make an impact education on the facebook if you go to that you'll find our group just give us a like and a click to join and we'll soon sign you up. You can also find us on Twitter at Dynamic Depths or we're now new to Instagram and we have literally taken the baby steps towards Instagram after uh, talking to a couple of followers on there. 
who've encouraged us to do so. And again, you can find us simply at Dynamic Depths on Instagram. So hope to see you joining in the fun with us on there. Excellent. Thank you. So today's focus, difficult conversations. Well, we picked this one because we thought it would be a good, chunky, relevant topic for the new year that kind of relates to whoever you are in education, whether you're a teaching assistant, a teacher, a leader, we all face what some of us might call difficult conversations or challenging conversations or tricky conversations. And we did a little sort of shout out on our social media, asking people about some of the contexts um, in which sort of tricky conversations worry them. And there were lots of responses, but before I go into those, I just wanted to say, Steve, when we work together, if, if, if you've not listened to our first episode, we kind of explain the background. Steve and I worked together in a school as middle leaders, well, as teachers and middle leaders and then assistant heads, and then I relocated down to, to Devon. But having to have tricky conversations would probably have been a big worry for us back then, Steve, wouldn't you say? Hugely. I mean, I came from an NQT working my way up in the school. And I recall our first uh, middle leadership meeting with our head teacher and uh, deputy at the time. And we actually did an exercise that involved pack type cards and we had to work out what kind of dog we were. (laughs) And I do remember that both of us actually, being the two assistant head teachers, we were identical. We actually came out as um, a coach dog, in fact. And the main traits of that being that we were people pleasers. Um, Mm. We like to be friendly with other members of staff. We like to listen to them and we like to keep the morale at school going very well. So I remember our head teacher saying to us that it will come a time where we do have to have difficult conversations. We've Mm. had them with parents as teachers, but we might have to actually have them in house and uh, it's how to be prepared to a have the conversation, Mm. b have the relationships and uh, see kind of work our way through this difficult conversation whilst we're trying to be these people pleasers that we're known as within the school yeah and, and if, if you've not heard of the pack types um sort of activity steve's referring to it's just a, a tool used by lots of leaders and you can sometimes glean some quite helpful things from it and you, you essentially pick a bunch of cards that have adjectives that you think describe yourself and on the back are dog types pack types and when you flip them over you kind of see what your common traits are and and Steve and I found it quite amusing to see just how much of these kind of coach dogs we both were that wanted to keep people happy and on board and while we kind of saw that as a strength and still do we recognize there as kind of emerging leaders we would need to adapt and we would be we would need to be able to um, have those tricky conversations in future which obviously since then we've had what seven or eight years um, more experience kind of doing that kind of thing so um, just coming back then to the responses we got I suppose they probably could have been categorized in a few ways from from our social media we had maybe teachers that felt some of their difficult conversations were when they had to be perhaps quite honest or challenging towards their senior leaders then we had those kind of Uh, context where leaders of kind of all levels middle leaders senior leaders having to sort of challenge their staff about something and then we had sort of more generally people that felt they had to speak to colleagues who they might find tricky or struggle with because of their behavior or their level of experience so we're going to pick some of those contexts and those examples back up later but we kind of thought that the most helpful thing for this podcast would be to start with some general principles about tricky conversations and then come back to the context later and see how these principles might apply so Steve do you remember when we had our podcast with Stu Newbury um we talked about well-being didn't we 
Yes, we did. And um, Sue was really explicit on looking at yourself first before facing the outside. And I know you talk about the inside out approach and I'm sure that's what you deal with now. Yeah. So he talked about, as you say, the inside out approach to well-being. And if you're unfamiliar with that, it's quite hard to condense in a sentence, but it's quite simple in a sense, which is our experience of the world is based from the inside out. It's not from the outside in. So often in society, we're taught that the way we should feel about life should be based on the things that happen to us. So we should be stressed, for example, because this is going on in my life and this is going on in my life. Or I should be happy because I've got this or I've achieved this. The inside out approach to well-being looks at things the other way around. And it says that actually our experience of life is formed completely um, sort of in our minds. Um, it's not that things aren't going on out there and it's not that some of that stuff isn't sort of challenging for example but just we're kind of seeing life through a lens and that's our thinking um, and it's that thinking that determines how we feel in any in any moment and the more I've learned about this kind of inside out approach the more it's um, impacted all parts of my jobs and in particular thinking about this difficult conversations topic it's really really relevant to this so in the past for example Steve I might have you know, when I first got into leadership and I had to deal with some more perhaps challenging parents, I might have been really, really anxious about some of those conversations I was going to have. Perhaps I'd have to challenge a parent about something they've said. Perhaps I would have to deal with someone who was really emotionally heightened and upset or cross about something. And I would sometimes find, Steve, that I went into those conversations feeling really, really anxious and worked up. Is that something you can relate to? Absolutely. And I know I've had, we've all faced our challenging parents and challenging members of staff at moments in our career. And I, I think that anxiety and you kind of go in with a fear. So you've got your back up straight away and your, your mind is already processing sometimes illogical thoughts that you're anticipating might happen based on what you, you feel at the time. And that's not necessarily the best way to approach these conversations. No, that's absolutely right. You our minds have an incredible ability to create narratives about things that haven't even happened yet. And what tends to happen when we go up into our thinking and we generate this really anxious, worked up thinking, you know, stories about what's going to go on. Oh, they're going to be difficult. Oh, they're going to be, you know, aggressive. Oh, they're not going to listen to me. I'm going to have to explain this. We go in, as you say, in this heightened state that doesn't necessarily help the situation. Now, the inside out approach to well-being is really liberating in situations like this because you realize that as you're starting to feel those anxious feelings, they're not coming from the person you haven't even had a conversation with. They can't possibly, can they? Those, those feelings are coming from your own <laughs> thoughts. And I was watching a video recently. I shared it with you, didn't I, from Mara Gleason, who's yes. um, kind of an advocate of this inside out approach and an author. And she's got a YouTube video called Dealing with Difficult People. So give it a Google search if, if it's of interest. And she, I really liked an analogy she gave that kind of summed up my, my thoughts on this. She, she talks about a car. So she said, if I was driving along and a little alert, one of those little red alert icons that none of us ever understand, um, comes up on, <laughs> on our dashboard. Our first assumption wouldn't be that there's something wrong with the person in the car next door to us or with something outside of my vehicle. We know that that alert is telling us about something in the vehicle itself. It's telling us that something that's not quite right. And she sort of uses this metaphor to think about us and our thinking. And she says, when we have a tricky feeling, a tricky emotion, an anxious feeling, a scared feeling, 
we quite often jump to the uh, conclusion that we're feeling this way because of someone else or something else outside of ourselves. We kind of project that feeling onto others. And when you think about it like that, you realize that's kind of ludicrous. We can't possibly mm. feel something based on what someone else is doing that we haven't even kind of spoken to yet. Um, so with difficult conversations, it's worth knowing that in the build up to having a conversation that we, we might be a bit anxious about, that anxiety is coming from one place and that's our thinking. And actually, do you know what? A little bit of anxiety, a little bit of worry can be a perfectly healthy thing. It can just mean that we're, we're taking this seriously and we're, we're um, wanting to prepare ourselves. But as soon as you sort of stop yourself going into the assumption that it's going to be awful, that's a really good starting point. So my first bit of advice would be to kind of remove this phrase, difficult conversations altogether, challenging conversations, tricky conversations, because some of the conversations in the past I thought were going to be some of the trickiest have ended up being some of the most positive. So should we ban the, the phrase difficult conversations, Steve? Let's put it in the bin, Russell. Let's get it in there. So that's gone in room 101, although we'll call the <laughs> podcast difficult conversations in, in inverted commas for, for, for those that are interested. So, yeah, so that's really changed my experience, Steve. But um, the next thing we kind of wanted to talk about, didn't we, was, was, a, was a book that we've both become aware of recently from Emma Turner. Um, Emma Turner's Be More Toddler. Be More Toddler, which I just think mm. is a fantastic title. So <laughs> if you've not heard of Be More Toddler, it's by Emma Turner, and she is uh, a primary teacher, 22 years. She had uh, over a decade of school leadership, and she was one of the first people to be part of a all-female co-headship. And she's gone on, she's been a mum, and she's kind of learned a lot of lessons about leadership from bringing up her own children and sort of experiencing their kind of beautiful toddler traits, really. And some of the things she talks about in, uh, in the book kind of stood out to us on this, Steve. Did you want to sort of start with something that interested you? Yeah, I mean, um, initially from reading this uh, chapter in the book, I, I noticed a mantra at the very beginning where it's um, talking about sticking to your guns and facing your fears because actually the fears are your own when you're going into tricky conversation or uh, should we say difficult conversation that we're now chucking in the bin uh, one of these conversations we can't let our fear get in the way of what we know and what we feel to be right so Mm. we kind of have to own this fear and um, whether we're finding fault in someone or something we need to ask ourselves and say like um, what fault of mine is most closely resembled to the one that I'm about to criticize mm-hmm. in the fact that we're then owning our fear and our projection that we, we want to have this conversation about. And I noticed that Emma talks a lot about the importance of planning and you really mm-hmm. do when you're, if you have time, because not some conversations don't allow for the, the preparation time, but if you can, you plan, you plan, you plan some more and you don't hide behind it or don't put it off. You be as prepared as you can because ideally you need to gather the evidence or don't rely on anything that's not uh, actual facts because gossip can also be portrayed within tricky conversations. You need to mm. know what, what you're talking about so that you can get the intended outcomes and the best you can hope for. So yeah, you really have I, to plan for these meetings. Yeah, yeah can I pick up that idea of planning? Because mm. you're right to acknowledge that um, there are some contexts planning's impossible, isn't it? And I yeah. think because we're dealing with such a broad term in difficult conversations, but there's so many billions of different types of conversation we can have at any one time. And I think Emma's alluding there to certainly as leaders, some of those more tricky full-on conversations that we might have Mm. to have and you know in that context perhaps when you're having to deal with a more serious incident maybe an accusation etc you know the advice 
given there is really, really sound about going in with that real kind of deep conviction about what is right and what you stand for as a leader, you know, and I think there's a real empowerment when you know that what you're doing is right and it's kind of based on your morals. So for example, if you're having to challenge bullying, for example, you know, if you hold on to the fact that actually that's not okay and you want to create a school culture where everyone should feel safe, then that's kind of quite empowering to just center yourself on those values. But with the planning, I think there are other contexts where I, in my role, Steve, I just don't get a second to plan. So a classic for me is it's quarter past eight in the morning. Um, I've been doing a little bit of work before school. By half past, I normally whack on my my fluorescent jacket and I go out onto onto playground duty and 20 past eight, uh, one of the receptionists comes in, Mr. Pearson, I've got this parent here. They want to talk to you. Now that is quite a common one. Sometimes I haven't got a clue what it's about. Sometimes I might have hardly woken up and not even had my morning coffee yet. Um, What would you suggest in that situation I do in terms of planning because I might have 30 seconds you know that parent might not be put off a ball till later I might actually be adding to their anxiety by not having the conversation with them now what would you advise there yeah well I think these meetings are all based on relationships so for me personally I would a not put the meeting off don't say oh can they make an appointment come back another Mm. time because some parents particularly when we're dealing with parents particularly working parents as well they may not have another opportunity or alternatively, this is something big in their world. So we need to mm. hear them out. Mm. And I think you have to have the confidence to uh, let them understand that you need to take on the information and you need to have processing time and rationalizing time without making a knee jerk reaction. So in part of your planning and preparation, it is gathering the information first as well. So what if and, I've got, what if I've got, I, I agree. And sometimes if I know I've got a parent with a, a meeting with a parent in, in, in future, I will prep, I'll talk to the teacher, et cetera. But what about mm-hmm. those 30 seconds? They're out on the sofa, Mr. Piss, and you're right to talk to them. You know, how does one sort of prepare themselves for a conversation like that when you've got 20 seconds? Well, experience, you rely on your own experience, but you be human about the situation as well. Mm. And you, you try and take the person into uh, an area where they feel comfortable or you feel comfortable as well. And you, you take on the challenging conversation that may occur, but again, you don't, you don't put emotion into it. You just take the meeting as it is for itself. You kind of take ownership and keep ownership over the meeting. If you need to cut it short for whatever reason, you can do that, but you can't prepare for every situation. That is one thing that we know. Um, there can always be something, a curveball that can come in, but you know, you've got to tell them that you care about whatever the situation is and you need mm. to deal with it on hand as well. That's really important, isn't it? Is that in a situation like that, when I haven't got a clue what someone's about to say to me, that the person that I talk to feels listened to and that they just feel acknowledged. And, you know, I don't have to validate that they're right, that they're wrong, that I agree with them, I disagree with them. All I have to validate in that situation is that they feel what they feel don't I I have to acknowledge that because there's nothing more irritating when you're worked up anxious whatever for someone just not to see that you feel the way you feel so I find it incredibly helpful to say to a parent at the start or near the start of conversation if I can tell they're worked up or they're coming in ready to go 
to say, gosh, I can see, you know, there's something really on your mind here. You know, how can I help you? It's that kind of opening that just straight away makes them feel that you're on their side and you want to, you want to hear them out. Yeah. And you kind of have to have that empathy balance there. You have Mm. to be the active listener and you don't want to go in apologizing for whatever's happened or whatever the concern is because you don't know the information yet. Um, you don't want to be going, oh, I feel what I feel that I understand that. Uh, mm. I think that you don't want to be doing this. You need to be personal, but also subjective and try and uh, uh, keep it objective. Sorry. And mm. you need to talk about the situation based on what they're saying and what yeah. you can do about it. So avoid the emotional language um, and just talk through the situation. At the end of the day, they being heard is one of the best parts of a conversation. Mm. So if you're an active listener, you can already take on board and form a relationship to someone who you may not have met before. No, you're right. And I think that's a great point about being objective because it's that fine balance, isn't it, of I'm hearing you out, but I'm not going to also indulge the bits of your thinking that I know to be disproportionate in this moment i'm just going to hear you out um be objective and it might be i'll challenge some of the things you're saying at a later date it might be that Mm. i can do that in the moment and this is what we mean about not plan you you can't plan for that and i think one of the best bits of advice i can give people is that is to trust your instincts and you know so many of these conversations i can't advise you on every permutation of every context every type of parent or colleague because actually what's guided me through my whole career and that has sort of sat me in good stead are my instincts and actually Mm. just trusting myself in that moment so when I say about preparation for those conversations that come at me in in 30 seconds with no prep actually very often it's just a deep breath and uh, I know I can do this and recognizing my own state of mind and there are rare occasions where for whatever reason I'm not in the best place and I might just knock on my assistant head's door next door and just say do you mind being in for this chat with me you know more often than not I don't need that but occasionally my instincts told me just a second person with me today would make me feel a bit more at ease and I feel like I'll be able to relax and I think it's that balance Russell when I was just saying about empathy you don't want to come across too nice because you don't want to mislead anyone in the conversation. Mm. But at the same time, you need to have that listening ear. And I think an important uh, lesson that I've learned is that actually silence can be pretty important in the conversation, actually. Saying yeah. less allows the parties to reflect, to rationalise and to listen mm. properly to what has been said already. So you can find comfort within the silence. And when you're opening up and talking to someone about something. So don't well, be afraid. Oh, go. Sorry. Well, I was just going to come back to Emma Turner's book there. She talks about that, doesn't she? That toddlers, mm. <laughs> they don't, they don't waffle unnecessarily. They say what they think in, in a clear, in clear, direct language. And then they stop, you know, and actually there's a lesson to be learned there. in the way we interact with, with each other as adults is there's nothing more infuriating than someone just going on and on and on on, trying to skirt around the issues actually just clarity and precision with your language and then like you say room for silence room for just stopping and listening it's powerful absolutely yeah and i think one of the the best learning points for me after a difficult conversation and there's been plenty in different scenarios it's actually having that that silence to listen to myself and what i've said and then when i'm debriefing to someone else, be it you, uh, be it to another senior member or, or a friend, uh, depending on when the scenario happens, 
it's having that trusted colleague to say, look, this is what happened. This is what was said. And that little bit of silence in the conversation allows you to recall properly mm. what happened and take the emotion out sometimes. Okay. I'm really glad Emma Turner mentioned those kind of debriefing conversations mm. because I generally, most of the time I'd say when I have what might be termed a tricky conversation, I generally come out feeling kind of okay that I know what I've done is all right. But there are occasions when if the other person's left in a way that I'm not okay with, that does still make me feel a bit uncomfortable I sometimes yeah. need to just clarify for myself I need to go to someone that I can trust and that's not gossip that's not I'm going to go into the staff room and chat to my best mate that's some that's a professional relationship or a mentor of some kind in the school that I can say to look can I just run this situation by you and I've done that before where I've just said to someone I really trust that just had this conversation with someone you know I feel like I've been fair or I've said this this way is what I've said okay does does this make sense to you have I been reasonable is there anything I've missed and sometimes just that reassurance from a trusted colleague to kind of clarify the situation back to me I found that really puts my mind at ease yeah no one wants to encounter difficult conversations at work anyway so there's always going to be a little bit of emotion hanging on to whatever challenging conversation you've had um, I would always feel that if you can summarize towards the end of a conversation, sum up mm. the possible outcome solutions, and you kind of want to check that you're singing from the same hymn sheet. But also, mm. like you said earlier, it allows for no ambiguity to be there mm. at the end of a conversation. Nothing worse than leaving a conversation that can be emotional and thinking, what was that all about? And what is the outcome of that? But that's a great point, isn't it? You know, that's something I've really learned through that inside out approach as well, is that the way I'm seeing a situation can look completely different to the person opposite me. So making assumptions about what we've each taken out of the conversation is dangerous, where you're quite right to just clarify back at the end of the conversation and just have that kind of, okay, so can I just check this is this is what I think we need to do moving forward you know mm. and that will depend on the context with a parent I might say something like okay so just to clarify I'm going to go away and find out a bit more about this situation I need to talk to a couple of people and is it okay if I give you a call this afternoon and let you know what I found out you know that might be where I leave it with a parent and that that is normally really reassuring to them whereas a conversation with a colleague might be look can you just give me a couple of hours on this there's something you know I need to do on this and you know it's just being really clear with someone or if I've asked someone to do something again it's just about knowing the people around you for some people it might be actually I'm going to pop that in an email afterwards because I know they need things written down and in black and white for them to know to process it later and and that sort of takes me on to sort of relationships Steve because so much about these conversations we have with people is based on a, a kind of foundation of relationships and Emma Turner talks about that doesn't she I like the she, she talks about having collateral in the relationships bank. What does that mean to you, you know, still in your experience? That is such a good analogy of having a relationship bank that you can rely mm. on for collateral. Um, for me, it's talking about the not having false friendships. I think if you can solidify relationships across your school setting and with parents as well and other stakeholders, um, you need to take time to do that because if you form a trust and a mutual respect and people can see that there is a fairness and a kindness to actions. When the time comes that you may need to have a difficult conversation, at least that person who you're talking with can rationalise to a degree of there is a fairness and culture within the, the setting that it's not a case of being identified as someone who you're targeting or anything. Mm. Actually, it's coming from the 
best possible place and it yes it's a difficult conversation but when you look into it the heart of the conversation is coming from the right place and situation and so, you need that trust there to build upon for the future yeah that's so true and i think I often think about that in my role that, you know, I won't get everything right. I might say the wrong thing sometimes, or I might make a decision that's not right. But the one thing I kind of know for sure is that I genuinely go out my way to treat everyone well. You know, I genuinely like everybody. I genuinely look for the positives in everybody. So when I have to have these conversations, I'm, I kind of feel secure in the fact that I'm not having them based on personal feelings about people. I'm having them based on my values and about what I think, is right and there's a real kind of that gives me a real sort of inner calm just to know that I'm approaching things from a fair kind place not from Mm. my ego not from trying to be this all-powerful leader for example it's just it comes from a different place then doesn't it when it comes from kindness and relationships and I think Emma Turner's right not you know to recognize it's not about false sort of friendships it's it's about acknowledging that in a school, whether you're a leader or a teacher TA, you have a duty to have relationships with all your colleagues and they will look different. But if those relationships can be as positive and as trusting and as fair as possible and kind, then when you do have to pick someone up on something or talk to someone about something, if it's coming from that place of really caring and from trusting each other, it's going to be a lot easier than when people can tell this is a personal thing. Exactly. And I think <clears throat> I don't want to repeat the message that um, I've been at the same school since then QT and worked my way up. But that's front its own curveballs in the sense of people seeing me in a different position at school. Yeah. But the one thing I've always wanted to hold on to is the fact that I'm the same person. And mm. what I'm doing at school is just doing the best for the school, for the children that we care for. Mm. And whenever I've had to have a tricky conversation or anything, I'm not dealing with the person. I'm dealing with the situation to try and make it better for everyone as well. And to be that empathetic ear and also to carry a a message that can improve everyone's relationships and future. Mm. Um, You can only do that if you're building it on trust, mutual respect and consistency. Mm. Steve, I feel like we're ready to look at some examples that came our way. What do you think? Yeah, Um, I think that's about time. Um, so look, we've talked about some of the principles that underpin what we think, um, helps with those tricky conversations. And if we refer now to some of the context that came our way and, you know, refer back to those principles really, and see how they relate to some of the things you talked about. So if I start with a kind of category of teaching staff feeling they need to kind of be honest or challenging or opening with their SLT, that's really hard, Steve, isn't it? Can you remember as a teacher before going into leadership ever feeling those times where you had to say something to a head or a deputy or whatever that was a bit tricky for you? Yeah. And the fact that you walk in thinking, I could get a disciplinary for what I'm thinking here. But, <laughs> but actually what you've got to know is that sometimes everyone's entitled to an opinion and an input and you just have to be open and honest with the SLT because what can be rolled out generically doesn't work for everyone or every person. We know that we teach 30 children and we can have multiple ways of teaching them. So we know that every decision made is not always the correct one for a situation or a person or people. Mm. So we've got to be able to call it and discuss it. Don't go in aggressively, but Mm. go in with some evidence. Coming back to the principles we've talked about, they're actually really relevant to this, aren't they? If, if what I'm saying is based on my values, then that's going to really shine through to my leaders, isn't it? You know, if it looks like I'm going in with my ego 
um, because I think I'm all that and I want to do it my way and I don't like being told what to do, then I will naturally get the backup of my leaders. If, however, I'm going in really clearly showing that my number one priority is the children in my care, that will glean through to the, the leaders. And I find that really inspiring when my teachers come and talk to me about things that are on their mind, when I can tell that actually what they really care about is their kids. And if the decision yeah. I've made is not in the best interest of their kids I, I want someone to raise that for me you know I like I, I love to see that and also mm. you know it got me thinking about the relationships thing again Steve don't you think that actually every school I've been in I've heard teachers or TAs talk about their leaders differently you have some people that say oh, I love them you know I get on really well with them and then others who act like they're these monsters and again it just brings home for me that our experience of other people including our leaders is often very much based on what goes on in our thinking you know and if if we go in with that negative or anxious approach often we will we'll see that we'll kind of um reinforce the the narrative in our head won't we we'll, we'll only see the negative in our leaders where if we can understand that our leaders are humans too and they have good days and they have bad days um yeah and we'll, and that when we go to talk to them, we're just doing so in the interest of our children. We're more likely to have a better, better conversation, aren't we? Precisely. And I think um, I can mimic the first head teacher we both worked for, actually, Russell, when she yeah. said to, to me when I obtained the uh, assistant head teacher post, she said, just to let you know, Steve, it gets lonelier as you go up the ladder. Mm. But she said, if people come to you with a difficulty, but they have a solution, praise them for the bravery, praise them for the forward thinking mm. and always say that you'll take it on board. We can trial anything um, because we're not a closed book. We don't run as a dictatorship. We run as a leadership and we, we lead with the staff. We don't lead for the staff. That's a fantastic, no, I just want to say it's a fantastic point that there's nothing better as a leader when, like you say, it's quite a lonely place. You've got 101 things you're always thinking about. When someone comes to you, one, they, you can tell they completely care about the kids and that's why they're coming to you. And two, when they say, so I'm worried about this, but I've had a bit of a think and I've, uh, you know, I've got a few sort of ideas. That's a really wonderful thing, isn't it? Because often as leaders, you feel like you're meant to be the superhero that has the answer to whatever problem they're about <laughs> to hit you with and mm. to have that kind of resourcefulness from your team where actually they're not raising this to just make you feel crap they're raising it because they want to help make the school a better place that's a lovely feeling as a leader isn't it yeah and this supposed hierarchy of uh, staffing at school doesn't mean that the higher up you are the better ideas you have and the the correct ones we all work together for the same output and the same vision mm. so share your solutions and work together so what about this context with the whole conversation with your leaders, Steve? Because I think what we've talked about there is really relevant if, you know, you, there's a school initiative or, you know, mm. something that's been put in place that you're just a little bit anxious about. What about something like, you know, the more intense meetings like pupil progress meetings or whatever, where I can remember being on the teacher side of those <laughs> chats where someone may be challenging you on data or ask, you know, sort of challenges you whether you've been too tough with your teacher judgments or whatever you know those kind of accountability conversations how from your experience have you found it best to approach those conversations as the teacher sort of talking to your leaders I've had to do it myself and I still do I'm still a year six teacher and I've got data mm. to, to meet um and you do feel like just turning around and saying look I know the children better because I teach them daily yeah but all that would do would um that could cause 
your backs come up and a bit of conflict there. If you actually go in with the hard evidence to support what you're saying, mm. then you can turn that awkward conversation into one where you're actually looking at the, at the face of it. You're looking at the data, you're looking at the evidence and you're looking at the children as well. You're triangulating at all that's going on there. Mm. Um, and yeah, we have to justify data from time to time, but mm. we, we also involved in creating the data and accuracy of it Mm. um so i think we just have to be steadfast and again take ownership over the situation and say look this is how we're going i know this child um isn't making the required progress this is what we're doing for the child so we're having a solution there and then discussing together not talking at just discussing between yeah slt and you I think that's great advice, Stephen. I think, you know, the other thing is uh, now on the leadership side that I find really refreshing when I have these kind of conversations is a teacher that one is open to the the, the things I'm talking about, but is not going to just sit there and take all my comments will actually say back to me. Yeah, I have. I have tried this and I have tried this. And this is still a big worry for me da, 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 da. I like I like someone that can talk confidently about their children and that makes me feel reassured that they're doing what they can for the child you know as leaders we're not trying to catch you out but we just need to know that we have got everything in place that we can to help every child succeed and you know we, that we do have to be a bit challenging sometimes but equally another thing that I've had from teachers before and it's not been in a defensive way so I wouldn't say this in a defensive way but has been that kind of look would you mind coming and sort of having a little look at this piece of work with me or this child yeah. a bit more with me you know if that if that's not said cynically if that's a genuine invite because actually what you want to do is make your leaders have a better understanding of the challenges you're facing again i find that really refreshing as a leader because i do a bit of teaching nowhere near as much as you do now steve so when for me it's really important i have activities in my kind of week that bring me back in touch with the challenges of the classroom so sometimes if a if a teacher says to me i'm really struggling with whoever's behavior or you know i don't know what to do about their writing or whatever just a chance to go in and see that child in their in their class environment can really bring home for me like how amazing my teachers are as well you know or if I'm just covering mm. someone's class for an hour I've quite regularly said to people wow you are doing an amazing job with them they are <laughs> <laughs> you know they're really tough so I'd, I'd, I'd really encourage that kind of openness from teachers when you're having those tricky conversations with t- uh, SLT but I do know how annoying it is when you feel like you're being lectured about stuff that you are already doing I just try and avoid like you say Steve the defensive mode there because you won't achieve much no all right what about um changing the context now so um sometimes for leaders of all levels and i appreciate it's probably quite different from a middle leader to senior so i might start with a middle leadership example and steve you and me will definitely relate to this memory wise (laughs) um what about when you're a middle leader you're still class-based etc and you're having to ask your teachers to do stuff when you know full well because you're having to do it all yourself as well that they are already completely under it with the amount of work they've got to do how do you kind of get the best out of your colleagues set deadlines for them without sort of becoming a hate figure for um, your yeah, colleagues look i think we've all been there uh, the workload is never getting easier we all know that um and setting deadlines without making everyone hate you is a, a difficulty and i do you know what i was sitting there last night on um, the facebook group and i saw something pop up about uh, well-being and saying oh someone said a head teacher sent out an email saying don't look at emails don't do any work over the holidays and then the people got back to work on the Thursday and then they was like 
Um, just to give you an update, this is due in next week and this is due in, and you think that's the snowball effect. So mm. I, I think as a, from a leadership point of view, a middle leader, we need to actually, we're in class, so we are, we're there, we're doing the hard work in, in the classroom as well. Mm. We need to accept, and actually it's our duty really to think, if we're putting something else on people, which is adding to the workload, adding to the deadlines, that they're really busy, what are we actually taking away to balance it as well? Mm. Um, and I think it's been brave enough to have that conversation with the senior leadership team to mm. try and find a balance. But also when we're asking our colleagues to do a task, if the relationships are there, and it always comes back to that, if the relationships mm. are there and, and everyone can see that we're all working together in the same boat, it does make it a lot easier yeah. when we're asking for something else. And it avoids that culture of negativity that yeah could creep in oh i agree it's in, it's all about integrity isn't it and you know some of the best middle leaders i've watched and worked with have had that ability to just be people in the school that are respected because they work their socks off they do everything that they're asking of other people that's massive isn't it um they're good at their job and when they ask people to do something there's not again it's not about ego it's not about i'm feeling smug with myself because i'm a leader getting you to do something i ask i'm just in this position, it's part of my role. I'm going to talk to you straight, not waffle and waste your time. There's just that integrity element, you know, of those middle leaders I've worked with that have been really strong, where they've just been able to relate to other people on their level, not in a patronizing way, not talking down to people. I just think that's really important. And just asking the simple question of how can I help you? Because mm. sometimes people just need that and they say, oh, I don't need the help, but they just need to offload and yeah. then to see that we're both working for the same thing that's a great one how can i help you and then you've obviously got senior leaders steve where you know well senior leaders or again middle leaders but perhaps they're having to have a repeated conversation with someone so sometimes in our role we might pick someone up on something we might think we've had a good conversation we've sort of modeled something explained something and we just don't feel it's really got any better um even though we've spoken about it already any thoughts in those contexts yeah i mean um i think this comes back to uh look if we're if we're going around in circles that's when the negativity can creep in and uh, mm. as senior leaders and middle leaders sometimes we have to call it out as well mm. and i know emma turner i'm just finding the phrase we set the weather in our organizations as mm. leaders i think that's a great ideology there and that sometimes mm. we need to call out the negativity um when it goes beyond offloading or moaning but also when when we're stuck in this vicious circle of continuous conversations and tricky ones because someone's not improving or the situation mm. itself is not improving we need to show that empathy balance but we need to come up with solutions and it can go from mentoring to um coaching and coaching to mentoring vice versa but again if they're coming if we're going into something with uh, evidence with an idea of how to move things forward there's nothing worse than sitting in a meeting a difficult one where you've been there before and before mm. and they, someone says well what should we do next mm. if you haven't got a suggestion then i can understand where never negativity could creep in because you think what's the point and mm. if no one's going to support me and no one's got a solution then that's where it'll creep in and that's where people management is uh gosh it's a skill you really develop as in your sort of journey as leaders Absolutely. because I, th I think that some of my steepest learning curves have been around just realizing that everyone I work with is really different 
And for some people, my best strategy, if I need them to do something is to be really polite and gentle about it. And for someone else, I have to be brashly jokey with them because that's just the way they like to interact and they'll take it on the chin much better. And someone else I need to, you know, be really direct or put something in an email. And that's where it comes back to relationships. Again, if you know your team really, really well, you learn to read that different people do need you to sometimes communicate in different ways and remind in different ways. And I think ultimately if you keep in your head that at the end of the day, the vast, vast majority of people want to come to work and do a good job, then you'll, it takes the kind of emotive element out of some of these challenges and it becomes more a conversation around, look, you know, they're trying their best and it's mm. just not quite what I need at the moment. So what am I going to do differently to, to help to get a different response out of them? Now I know that there's a minority of situations and I've been there when you feel like you've tried everything going, you've had the gentle conversations, you've had the phone conversations and so on. And that's when sometimes as a leadership team, you do have to have a more serious conversation about how you approach a, a matter. But I don't really want to get into all that now because I think in the vast majority of cases, actually it's just learning to read the different people you work with and, and trying some different things. And sometimes you have a little breakthrough, yeah. won't you? Yeah, and I think um, I remember playing uh, football a few years ago and by the managers, we went on a little losing streak and they said, uh, well, one of our players actually questioned the manager and said, if we serve up the same tactics, we're going to get the same results. Mm. So it's what you were saying there about, mm. okay, if it's not working, what are we going to do next? Mm. We're dealing with the situation, not the person. So mm. how can we help them and what can we do to make it better? And then it opens up to other avenues if it's still not going. But ideally, we need to question ourselves first and what we can do to handle the situation better. I love the football analogy, Steve, because I've always found it fascinating how you can have, you know, really famous quality players that have gone to certain teams and been awful and then have absolutely <laughs> thrived in another team. And actually, there's mm. been something about them, the way they've been managed that has been good for them do you remember Alex Ferguson was famous for dealing with Eric Cantona really differently to the rest of the team and you know you could argue oh he was treating him you know differently and unfairly but actually he noticed that he had a real wild card on his hands there yeah and if he was yeah. going to get that brilliance out of a player that was a little bit strange and uh, hot-headed and so on he was going to have to really know him and know his triggers and what worked for him and I think you know that's something I've really learned with time is just to know my colleagues and to mm -hmm. you know yes have equity in the kind of respects that I give them but actually know that some will need more of my time in one-to-one -one conversation some people will need me to approach certain things differently to others and that's fine isn't it that's what we like you say what we do with the children as well to to help them to to be their best so yeah yeah um then there's the final kind of category steve is when people are talking about general conversations with colleagues so perhaps i'm not talking about hierarchical kind of conversations here you know it might just be other colleagues that you find tricky or whatever and i i guess i'm thinking back to what i said earlier about the uh the inside out approach here in terms of trying not to kind of label people as difficult in your head before you've even spoken to them but <laughs> do you have any other thoughts about that when you're speaking to colleagues you know, I always think that's, um, look, we're working in a school. We don't want to make it a playground for staff. So mm. we need to treat everyone with courtesy and respect and, and treat everyone as face value. I mean, it definitely goes back to that car analogy that uh, mm. if something feels wrong, uh, it, it can come from within. So the worst way of the world is to have it ingrained in your head before you've dealt with a situation or a person that this is going to be difficult or mm. and 
perception goes a long way and reputations likewise actually um i've definitely worked with people who have a reputation that comes with them and actually you can talk to something actually that's completely inaccurate yeah it's unfair. you have to give the people the chance otherwise we are being worse than the children we teach and we actually have to be the role models and lead this kind of behavior uh so we don't want to tarnish ourselves with a, a negativity before anything even happens i think that's such a good point steve you know i've been in schools in the past where people will sort of in that gossipy way say oh yeah everyone everyone finds them really difficult whatever and while it can be a relief to know that you're not the only one that finds someone a bit challenging i sometimes think what can happen is the the kind of school builds a narrative or staff build a narrative mm. about someone that everyone else indulges constantly and that person is going to pick up on that and you know imagine for example that you're someone who maybe lots of people have a perception of being a bit you know grumpy or hard to talk to well if everyone then skirts around you and deals with you in a really strange way you're probably going to become more of a grumpy difficult person aren't you do you know what i mean it's like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah it's like your persona is fulfilled yeah yeah and that's that ego thing and i think you know i've really learned to like you say steve make my own mind up about people and i've seen people really differently that others have been absolutely convinced are difficult or hard work and just by not judging them taking them at face value and you know making my own choices about them and not going in with that tarnished negativity I've actually thought no they're great they're just yeah they're just different to me in the way they deal with things and you know we're all really unique and in the way we communicate and Mm. I, I, I can't just jump to a judgment about someone you know there could be anything going on in their lives for why they appear difficult and actually get beneath that we're all the same we all want to do a good job and we're all at our heart decent yeah, people how boring life would be if we were all the same and i think you actually touched on something brilliantly there and um, we actually have lives outside of this building that we work in so yeah let us not just jump the gun and jump to conclusions as to why people are difficult without knowing the full story and we're not actually always entitled to know the full story that's right we just have to treat them with courtesy respect that we expect our children to treat their class peers with absolutely i think that's a good place to sum up so i hope you've taken something from our conversation guys we've tried not to get lost in every individual situation but to really unpick some principles of how to kind of go into what you might think as uh difficult conversations when there is an opportunity to prepare yeah prepare when there's not trust those instincts um listen to your kind of inner voice that's telling you what the right thing to do is don't make judgments about people before you even go to them. Um, treat them at face value. Be more toddler, I think. And ultimately, just really invest time in those relationships that you have with yeah. your colleagues and the parents. Because the more you see the good in people, the more you invest time in people. Then, as uh, Emma Turner calls that emotional kind of bank that we we need to sort of withdraw from at some point. When we then do have to have an honest conversation, people will take it a lot better from someone they trust. Um, and knows kind of cares about us so um i hope that's been useful i think at some point steve it'd be great to get emma turner on for a a podcast episode what do you think absolutely absolutely i look forward to that already if we can get it done we will get it done yes i mean i've been trying to be more toddler over the christmas holidays by eating everything (laughs) that uh (laughs) that has been at sort of head height in the cupboard so um i'm doing a good job there all right well steve it's been great to talk to you again and i hope brilliant to be back thank you for having us back 
on the podcast together. So get in touch, guys. Use the hashtag Don't Shoot the Deputies if you want to. Remember Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We would love to hear from you. Have a wonderful start to the new year, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye bye. Happy New Year, everyone. Bye. Don't shoot the deputies.